0: And then about two hours later, email from the client. Did you tell X to fuck off? um, Never call again. And that, uh, we would never consider him as a candidate if we didn't accept this, accept the offer. And this has come to my email. Then we get a email from oh God. the candidate with solicitors cc'd in. Su- Suing the business oh my God. for damages uh, and uh, because we'd run back to the client and, and said a few things and for uh, something like compensation for re- rejecting the offer and things like this. I can't exactly remember what it was but um, forwarded it to my boss Client goes, yeah, we're not going to work with you again. And this was our, this client was making us as a business about probably 1.5 million a year. Biggest client that we had. Welcome back
1: to the Carrot and Stick podcast, a podcast series where we get under the skin of all things sales management and motivation to understand what makes our wonderful profession tick. Today, I'm sitting down with a really interesting guest. Tom Cox is the founder and director of Thomas Berkeley Recruitment. And this is the most surprising part. He's 21 years old, but don't let the age fool you. Tom has been in recruitment since he was 15 years old and in the last six years, become a million pound villa at his previous role and has taken what he learned across those six years of recruitment into his company today. What's also really surprising is that Thomas Berkeley are a fully remote recruitment company. I oh, can only say that about a few companies in the UK, it feels like these days is most are hybrid, if not fully in office. We have a good talk through Thomas's journey to setting up the company, all the things that he learned in those previous six years before founding Thomas Berkley, why they chose to go fully remote and what it means for him and how he has to adapt his management and leadership style, why managed, uh, hiring juniors over more experienced individuals might be the play, and also how he manages performance on a day-to-day basis in this remote environment. We stop and tell the whole thing with some wonderful chat. At the very end, you'll hear two unbelievable stories. The horror story is probably my favorite that I've heard on any episode of this so far. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. This is Tom Cox, founder and director of Thomas Berkeley Recruitment. All right, Tom, really appreciate you sitting down with me today. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, opening little 30 60 seconds here as well. Tell us a little bit about you. Who is Tom Cox? What is Thomas Berkeley? Give me the spiel that maybe you give to your clients when you first get in touch.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, obviously, I'm Tom Cox. I founded uh, Thomas Berkeley. First of all, thanks for having me on, Derry. Uh, right. It's been long awaited. Um, essentially, what we do is we're a small recruitment business of, you know, probably what I say is the top 1% of recruiters that specialize in recruiting across the financial industries and technology, um, typically focusing on trading firms, hedge funds uh fintechs we do have a startup business as well um that focuses on just scaling new businesses um and then we also touch upon sort of consultancies as well uh so we are a small business we will stay a small business we're not really going to scale too much we're focused on the consultants that we have and making sure that we can offer as much of a uh direct and you know one-to-one approach as possible um you know we're not even a year old yet. It's been a, a massive learning curve for us, but you know we've we've had a good year, and you know we're looking forward to to the next year.
1: I feel like you may be the only recruitment owner at the minute that's saying I've had a good year because it feels like everyone's had a really crap year given how a lot of 2023 went for people. Yeah, uh, I guess because you kind of started relatively recently. What has your been perspective been maybe on speaking to? other recruitment founders, for example, maybe friends that you know, in the industry, I imagine for some of them, you've heard it's tough. Why do you think it's been such a good year for you guys?
0: I would say in the grand scheme of things in terms of how successful I've been in my recruitment career, yes, you called it a crap year. um, In terms of you know, what we're doing numbers wise. But for me, it's been a good year, because it's something that I'm really passionate about. And you know, starting up a business in possibly the worst climate we've seen. I mean, some might even say since 2008. Right. Um, yeah. and still being here to tell the story of, of how we've survived twenty twenty three. Um, it's pretty much the same when I speak to other founders. Unfortunately, some of them haven't made it and you know, they've they've had to shut up shop, which is a shame. Um, the stories are all the same. COVID was great and now we're suffering the 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 backlog of filling so many roles from twenty twenty to twenty twenty. Probably even November twenty twenty two. Um yeah. and then from that Christmas period at the end of that year, it's just been what the hell's going on? That that's where everyone's that been on, at mate. everyone has experienced the same. Um different industries are doing better than others. Technology is really suffering, finance is really suffering. You've got things like healthcare, which are doing well in terms of the fact there's always there's always gonna be a demand for healthcare, but I know that in healthcare recruitment, the margins are nowhere near as as good as as other industries. So it sort of rebalances itself out. But um, I would say it's good in the fact that it's been such a learning curve for me. It's been so different to anything I've done. And, you know, I've been in 360 recruitment for maybe not as long as other directors have, but the experience that I've had has been rich. But going from a 360 consultant to someone else's business to your own, It's just you're adding a whole nother 360 cycle as it is just running the Mm. business. So it's been massively fun, massively stressful, really tough. Um, But, you know, who doesn't like a challenge, right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And we've got three really good topics to go through around this sort of journey of setting things up by yourself. But before we jump into that a little bit further, what was the trigger that led to you wanting to go and you know set up Thomas Berlick? What was it that made you want to do this on your own and not be in? a large recruitment group, or even maybe even a
0: smaller, more kind of tightly knit small company like yours? Yeah, so oh, that's a great question. You know, it's definitely a mixture of things that's, that's led me there. Um, obviously, you know, to a lot of people, I'm probably too young to start a business. That's the one thing is, why would you start a business that young? This is when you need to be in the office. Because <laughs> you're bit, um, how, old, how old are you, Tom? I'm 21. Bloody hell, mate. Jesus, fair yeah. play, fair yeah. play um but you know for many people they don't start their careers until fresh grad so you're looking at 21 22 and then five years down the line there 26 27 well i started recruitment when i was 15 it was my first ever office job um i had i got my recruitment job in a mix of me doing my GCSEs, um and i pretty much part-time did my GCSEs and part-time did recruitment when i first started up um which not many people can get away with now but I had I had a great setup with them, and it allowed me to to continue education and continue doing my GCSEs. Um I think that the the five years that that I did in recruitment, I experienced big companies, small companies, um, companies with two or three people, companies with fifty above. Uh, I had a remote hybrid on site. I experienced a lot in in those five years, and I had. Really, really bad years where, you know, my boss would go to me, when are you going to start making me some money, basically? And then I had some really good years where my bosses were able to buy houses and nice Porsches you know, over the money that I've made them. <laughs> um, but I think what it was is I, I felt like I'd achieved everything at the company I was at. And I thought, what, what am I going to get from working from someone else that I can't get from setting up on my own? And when I actually sat down and thought, actually, I'd love to do it my way. And I think actually I can do it better than what most companies are offering at the moment. Um, I just went in no planning, just, you know, hadn't even set up a company yet, uh, handed in my notice and, and started. So some people might say, well, that's stupid. I would say it's the best thing that's ever happened to me and the best thing that I've ever done. Amazing.
1: That's a really interesting story as well. Having started recruitment so early, like I hear a lot of people start mm-hmm. recruitment, you know, straight out of uni or out of school when they're like, yeah, eh. yeah. just kind of fell into it. But so have done it during yeah. your GCSEs as well. Sounds pretty mega.
0: It was. And, you know, going, you know, when you're, when you're 15 years old, I was taking home 700 pounds a month. I was used to, you know, one pound, two pound a day from my mum to go down the <laughs> shop a couple of years ago. And then all of a sudden I'm taking home, you know, I'm seeing thousands coming in and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is it, and I'll be honest with you. I had no idea what recruitment was at the time. I had no idea. Everyone, when you're that age, everyone says, "What do you want to do?" You need to know what you want to do. You need to know the avenue you want to go down. I was always quite academically smart. I could just never apply myself. Um, and this comes back to the whole topic that you know you might want to dive in later on. That you know when I was diagnosed ADHD, and then you know it would come down to. I'd come down to the test times in my mock exams. I'd get A's and A stars. It would come down to the real thing, and I I, I couldn't do anything. Um, part of that was because I didn't try hard enough, and that's just me holding my hands up. And part of it was because I really struggled in that in that moment. And then it, it was when I was doing those sorts of exams. I thought this just isn't for me. College isn't for me, and and university isn't for me. So I went out and I interviewed, and the guy that founded the company, he he interviewed me. He had a Rolex on, and he had a uh a BMW i8 out the front that was brand new. And he said, if you want that car out front and you want this watch that I've got on my wrist and you want these £2,000 shoes that I'm wearing and this £10,000 suit, you can work for me and I'll make you that. <laughs> and I was, I mean, what, what did a 15-year-old say to that? You say, no, oh, yeah, yes. man, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and it was great. It was a great experience. It was amazing. It was honestly doing, getting into a some people would say, you know, it's the vain. You know, the worst thing they've ever done. And a lot of people, you know, it's really tough. But for me, I, I love being challenged. I love things going wrong and I love things going right. And it, it's just the best thing, for the way that my mind works and how I like to apply myself, the best thing for me.
1: Amazing. Mate, great um, story. Great story. Yeah. And I'm sure plenty of lessons you're going to share in a minute as well around what it's been like in this last year or so with Thomas Berkeley being set up. I asked you before what three areas you wanted to go into and you said recruitment management styles, the kind of like more older style versus the way that you like to manage. The second one was around mm. being a fully remote company, which I think is, I'm not going to say controversial, but even across the 300 plus recruitment companies we work with, only 4% are fully remote. So I know that it's quite a unique thing to be fully remote in recruitment. Yeah. And then also how you manage experience versus managing juniors. Like you said earlier on, you like to hire that top 1%. So I'm really keen to dive into that as well. All three of those still sound good to you? Yeah, they sound good. Yeah. Wicked let's do it then let's start with that management style one because this is something that i think when many people think of recruitment or even like old school sales teams they imagine everyone being stuck in an office being told you've got to stand up till you book a meeting or close a deal or whatever you're here from nine till nine like you don't have weekends all that kind of stuff what's your take on old versus new and i guess to start with what do you perceive as the old style is it the same as mine or do you think something else maybe what you've seen yourself and what do you think the new style is that you're trying to employ in your company
0: yeah, I think old style is is becoming more and more controversial, and it's it's actually something that really worked for me. You know, I, I as I as I said, I love getting stuff wrong, and I love getting stuff right. So you know, when I first got into recruitment, it was make four hundred calls a day, send two hundred emails a day, log all of your KPIs on the system, and don't go home until you've hit them. That is what recruitment was when I first started, and you know, as as you know, that wasn't too long ago. We're now in. In a world where the new management is, I think it's a lot more soft, um, and it's probably controversial me saying that, but it's soft. People uh, are a lot more emotional, I think now, and I think you have to pay attention to that and pay attention to how people feel. Which I think most people would say, well, why should you care about the if you're paying them? Why are you caring about like, how they feel? And my my argument with that would be is exactly why I adopt probably a, a good mixture of both everything good about the old and everything good about the new by no means am I saying I'm perfect but I try my best to to get the boast out of both sort of styles of management I think with the old style it's, it's really good to have a tougher approach and it's really good to to outline exactly what the expectations are in terms of you know what is going to take someone into that next level because as a manager you You have to show the people that are working for you, how are they going to achieve what you promised them in the interview stages? How are you going to get them to where they want to be in their career, earning what they want to be earning and billing what you want them to be billing? And that's a great form of the old style management is outlining the things that they have to do, the calls they have to make, the emails, the structure of their day that they have to have in order to get them there. And then adopting a the new style where you listen to how they're feeling. If they're not enjoying something, they're not going to do it. Uh, and I always say, you know, it's a, it's a, almost like being a personal trainer in a way. If you get someone into a gym and tell them to exercise and do something that they really enjoy doing in terms of exercising, the likelihood of them going back and doing something they enjoy is tenfold over telling them something to to do that they don't want to do. And they're not going to lose weight. They're not going to put on the muscle they want to do. So adopting that into recruitment is finding out what works for someone. Everyone is different. Recruitment has been the same for for so many years, but where we need to focus now is what does the individual person, what works for them? Does it work for them to be on the phone more or does it work for them to post more social media content, getting inbound business and making planned calls from that inbound business? So working with someone to outline what their preferences are, where they feel comfortable and where they feel that their strengths and weaknesses are, outline those, adopting that into the old style management of the targets and then putting putting them both into one piece and, and going from there.
1: Mm, it's a really poor no, no, you're good. What's that? Yeah more from work than just money and just a number it's got to be more than that and i feel very much in the crossfires of millennial sat bang on in the middle like yeah. actually it's kind of a mix of a lot of things and we're all sat here crying about house prices and that and it's a whole different conversation yeah. but the probably where it sits in the middle actually like you say is a blend of the two styles where you want to be saying to them look you want to be able to achieve a b and c i'm willing to let you do it how how you want to do it but when does it come to a point where you turn around and say look you're saying to me you don't like the phone and therefore you want to do social media inbound"? That's cool, but do you then still hold them to a number on that and say, okay, well, I want to make sure that you're posting this much in a week to make sure you can be successful or I need to see this many leads coming in from you for you to show that that method is successful? Where do you draw the line on where you put a number on those kind of approaches? Yeah, it's
0: it's a really tough one because, as you say, sitting in the middle of the old versus new is, is exactly where most people aim to be. And I think that a lot of people, and certainly I did when I first started hiring, was finding that balance of, you know, listening to people's feelings, but then also taking into account that just because they feel a certain way doesn't make it right. And people people need to be guided. And at the end of the day, you know, I've had success in my career so early on because I've listened to the people that have had success over their previous career and they've had success because they've listened and it, it passes down. So if I'm saying to someone, that hasn't seen the success they want yet, do what you want. Well, they're not going to see that success because they haven't seen it yet, you know, doing their approach. So then we look at, okay, cool. So we've given you free reign to try what you wanted to try. Now I'm going to step in and show this is what I would do and this is what I did do in order to become a million pound biller. And this is where you need to take things to the next level and how we're we going to get there is we need to work together. And having that management style, that one-to-one mentorship over a micromanagement is 100% the way forward. Micromanagement is okay for a certain period of time before people start to rebel against that. And they start to find ways to get around the micromanagement. If someone's making 400 calls a day, prove to me that those 400 calls a day were a good use of your time. And I doubt very many people could have done because they were just trying to meet the targets that they were set. What you need to do is outline a plan to get the most out of the time that you would be spending on the phone. So I only make probably 30 to 40 calls a day on a good day. But every single one of those calls has a a purpose and a very strong purpose, whether it's a management call, whether it's uh, a candidate call for an interview preparation or a post-interview call, Screening new candidates, speaking to my team. But those calls are so beneficial. And every time I come off that call, I need to think to myself, was that worth the 20 minute conversation I just had? And 99% of the time, in my experience, certainly now knowing what I know, it is well worth my time. And there's a big debate on, and something that I discussed with a few people is Teams meetings. And there's a great argument of, did that have to be a Teams meeting or could it have been an email? And it, the exact same rules apply. Did that have to be a phone call, or could you have done that another way? On the contrary, I see a lot of people coming into recruitment, and, and someone that why is he the first person that I hired? Uh, they came into the business. I'll send them an email. I'll send them, send them a text message. Why not call them? If you can call them now and get them on the phone right the very second, and have that more personal approach. The email and the text are irrelevant. They, I can read a text in 300 different ways. You can only read the expression of tone in one way. And that's the expression of the tone that, that it comes across as. So being on the phone face to face, Teams calls, video calls, wherever it may be, they will always be superior to an email and a text. And that's, that's what you have to, when you're managing someone is not telling them to do something. It's telling them why they're doing it. What are they going to get out of it? And that's how you adopt the new and the old is accounting for their performance and their emotion. And do they feel like they belong and why are they doing something? And then giving them the reason you must make, I don't ever give a number of calls you have to make a day. Let's say, for example, if I say you give me three candidates for this role by the end of the day, and then let's look at how you're going to achieve that. And then we look at a plan. You might get some from this job board, you might get some from LinkedIn. You might get some from an application. You might get some from going through our database and showing them how they're going to get there as opposed to just saying, do it. That's where I would say the middle ground is and, and how I, I try to manage. And do I get always get it right? No. But that's why, I, that, and that's why I think the year has been so good because it's shown me a completely different side to me in recruitment that I didn't know I had before from a management perspective.
1: Interesting. And to fair, I imagine we'll come on to this in a minute because it's around the whole fully remote way that you guys work. But for those that are listening and maybe you're really curious, okay, then, you know, Tom, you've got some great ideas around finding that middle ground and managing in a certain way. What does that look like in day-to-day and week-to-week execution? How often are you sitting down with the folks that you work with and talking through their approach to getting in new business, for example? What do those conversations look like? What day do they happen on? Give us an idea every around that. Every
0: day I speak to them, every day. And, and that that has to be the way it has to be. Um, you can't feel detached from the business that you're in. And I, I I don't call them. What have you done today? Show me what you've done today. I call them and say, how was your evening? I'll call them in the morning. How was your evening last night? What did you get up to? I was on. I was. I did X, Y, Z. And talking to them about their life and getting them involved because these conversations are what you would have in the office. And I won't touch too much upon those remote conversations yet. Um, And then deep diving and asking them what just asking them questions because i could sit on the phone and talk to them and tell them something for half an hour what is the likelihood that they're actually going to understand and believe and feel like what i'm telling them to do is the best course of action so we plan together we plan together what's going right what's going wrong and these are the conversations we have every morning and it might it's not first thing in the morning halfway i'm calling up my my team what is what are you doing today what's the plan Give me five CVs ASAP. The call is, how was your evening last night? What are you thinking for the day? Letting them run their course, this is what I was planning today. And then maybe giving my feedback, I understand why you would want to do X, but I think actually in order to get more candidates for, for this role, a better avenue would be this. Do you know what, Tom, you're right. I will do that approach and I'll try this. I'll try the thing I suggested a bit longer in during the day um so having the calls i have every day and i'll message throughout the day not from a micromanagement perspective how are you getting on do you need me to do anything are you thinking that you know the original plan we had in the morning is that still applicable or have you found another avenue that you think is actually more worthwhile than what we suggested in the morning and being a team just because i own the business doesn't mean that i'm any better than them So understanding why they want to have their approach, them understanding why I want to have a certain approach, coming to a middle ground and being the most effective that we can as a team. That's what every call looks like. And I'll speak to them Monday through Friday morning and evening.
1: I love that. I think it's a really cool idea. Because it's, again, really positioning yourself not as a manager, but as a coach more than anything else. It's questioning the line of thinking. It's looking to have that personal relationship beyond saying, where are my numbers, which again, is not what you're really too interested in. You're much more about what have you tried? What's working? What's not right?
0: Exactly. And I've I've been in positions before and I I only, I only adopt these tips and, and the way of working because I know what pissed me off and what didn't. I know that when I had my manager sitting on the corner of my desk, looking at my laptop, asking me to show him what I've done through the day, that makes me not want to work because he might then suggest something that he doesn't understand why I've done something and the course of action. And then I'm steering off of my day plan and doing something that's completely irrelevant to what I want to be doing. So it's really key to have that team aspect. And I've had that before. And I remember being in that position where my manager sat down with me and, and would listen to me explaining the course of my day, why I'm doing something, explaining to him. And I remember feeling a lot more in control of my desk and that, as a recruiter, each desk is their own business. Each one of my team, they run their little businesses within Thomas Berkeley. Each desk is treated as a different business. Each one, every single person works differently, has different targets. Not that I really set hard targets anyway. I've never actually had the hard target conversation with them. Um, but the expectations are clear. But everyone works differently, and everyone is just as successful through through different avenues and, and, and methods. Like it. Mm.
1: Nice. Wicked. And we did kind of loosely touch on this throughout that conversation, that second topic that we mentioned, this fully remote team that you've got. Part of that is addressed by this daily conversation every morning, you know, going through, okay, right, talk to me about what you're thinking, where can I help, all that kind of good stuff. What else do you do when it comes to running a remote team? Because, again, you are one of the very few companies, it seems, in the recruitment industry
0: that are fully remote. I'd like to say it, it's the best thing for a recruitment business to do, but I'd, I'd be lying. Um Being remote is tough. It's really tough. Um, It has its perks. People seem to be happier. But when it comes, I always say remote working is, is great in the good times and horrible in the bad times. And I've experienced that as a recruiter and as a business owner, that being in the office with the team on a good day would have been amazing. But then being at home and having a good time is also good. It's really, it's really tricky to, to sort of explain why I think remote is better than an office because if I think really if I had the choice to have a lovely office and grow a team and, and we were all in one location, I, I think I would probably choose the office. But we were remote. So why did you choose not to then? Talent. Recruiters are really hard to come by. So in order to expand how we could recruit and the talent that we could bring in, I went remote and I thought, let's see how this does. And I haven't thought about changing it because it has been successful. There are people that we've bought onto the business. We, we scaled to almost 10 people within about six months, which is really fast um, and probably the wrong decision. But we soon mm. found that people that said they wanted remote thought they did and they didn't and and we had they liked the sound and the
1: convenience of being remote but then really when it came around to how they actually work best which I guess is a slightly different question they work best around other people in person in
0: in in the year that we had where everything that was supposed to go right went wrong and the Mm. true test is of, of of someone anyone can be successful when things are going right what truly shows someone that's going to be successful is how they act when things go wrong. And the people that we had on board that were remote, and we also actually, we we had a, an, a, uh, an offshore team for a certain period of time. And when <clears> things were tough, you know, trying to manage their expectations and trying to manage them from an emotional perspective and show them that things will get better was really tough because you try and have that one-to-one feel, but it's just not quite there. So it is really tough, but it has its massive perks. The people that I've got with me now, they love it. And I wouldn't ever ask them to go into an office and say, you must, I would say, we've just bought an office in central London. If you want to travel in, let me know the days and we'll, we'll meet up. Um, I wouldn't ever say we have bought an office, come in now because we haven't hired them on that basis. And I think this is where a lot of companies go wrong. Um, it has its ups and its downs. The, the reason we chose to remote to go remote was because of talent and, and really talent only. And also when you set up, you don't want to be putting five grand a month in an office. Certainly when you think... Very true.
1: when money's scarce. It's the last yeah. thing you want to do.
0: So it was a mixture of a few things. I think down the line, we, we will definitely have an office, 100%. And for those, the, the talent that we want to recruit that want to be in the office, because being remote has, has enabled us to have... Uh, geographical expansion in terms of the talent that we can bring in. But a lot of people now are wanting to go back into the office. So it's also limited us for a certain talent as well. So it has its pros and its cons, and it will forever be an argument, remote working or not. And I think whatever works is the only answer that should ever come up in that argument is whatever works for that business and that person. And if you're someone that's looking for work and one company says you have to be in the office, Don't apply for that job. Don't try and work something out where you go remote because you know that wasn't their expectation. Choose somewhere else. Find a Mm. business that is aligned with your expectations. You wouldn't apply to a business that has a completely different skill set to what you know. So don't do it if the remote doesn't apply for you as well is what I would say. Um, And that's my argument is just do what works for you. And right now rubber is working for us. It's tricky in some aspects, certainly from a management perspective, certainly with juniors. Um but mm. it has great perks and it can be great for for me and for the team as well and for the business from a cost perspective as well. And we could
1: definitely come on to that juniors piece, because I get I love how these topics all tie so yeah. well together. It's our third one is around that experience versus juniors piece. But before we jump onto that, one thing I'll come back to is what I would really love to see at some point, and I doubt we'll ever really find the stats for it, is the companies that do go out there and say, oh, it's a remote role. Just kidding. It's one day a week. The other four are all in the office. Uh, how does that work out if a candidate eventually takes that role? Do they stick it or do they turn around and go, well, I actually really wanted to be fully remote and now I'm not. I'm really you know, not feeling too good about that. Or they just have a massive turn down rates of candidates who apply and then discover later that it's very heavy, heavy office based. It's kind of a a two-way piece where the candidate needs to know what is right for them. And when they say what's right for them, not what they like the sound of, but how they work best. And for the company, it's yeah. a degree of being honest about exactly how you work. If you say you're remote, is it one day a week or is it fully remote, right? And not enough detail to talk And I think a lot of
0: this that. comes down to, uh, a lot of it is blamed on recruiters. Because at the end of the day, if we're, if we're brought on by a company... <laughs> recruiters, recruiters always get the route, that's the problem. Sometimes, look, sometimes <laughs> Everyone blames the, the, blame the recruiters. And sometimes we're not, but... I think what people have got to understand, if we're brought on by a business and they tell us this is a remote role, I'll say, is it fully remote? And they'll say, yes. And then I say, where do they have to be located? Because prime example, we're working with a Chicago hedge fund. They said, it's fully remote. And I said, okay, cool. Where's your office? And they said, office is in X location. And I said, well, would you look at international candidates? which most times is no. And they said, no, they have to be based in Chicago. So I said, is it fully remote? And I said, yes. So I said, so why do they have to be based in Chicago? Just in case they have to come to the office. Then it's not fully remote. This is where you have to, this is where it gets really tricky because then I've asked all that I can to find out what are the expectations. Um, and Luckily with that firm actually, uh, we managed to find a. a, a this is about two years ago. We managed to find someone. Um, they never, they have never gone into the office, and they were within Chicago, and they were transparent, and they said you might have to on a really bad day, but like for a team meeting, if, if the market goes completely tits up, and and we have to bring everyone into the office to strategize. Luckily, yeah. that never happened, and, and they're doing better than ever now, and you know they're one of our clients now uh, for this business. Um, interesting but it becomes really yeah. tricky when companies tell recruiters one thing we go to market offer comes round the company tells someone a completely different thing um, and then they're like well this recruiter told me it was remote and then yeah. they're like do you think that's on the
1: company or is that on the recruiter for not doing their due diligence to get the information they need
0: It, it either or because I've had situations where I've said you know is it fully on site is this fully remote and if it's fully remote 100% you'll never get asked Six months down the line, the company's asked a person to come in three days a week. Well, I have done. I know I've done my due diligence. There's only so much I can ask before I have to take it and say, okay, cool, this person's definitely fully, fully remote. Six months later, the company decides they want to go on site. Some people might say, well, this recruiter lied. I would say, well, no, that recruiter did mm-hmm. their due diligence and it was right at the time. They can't manage a client for six months. They manage a client on the role. And once it's placed, that's it. Um, alternatively, you know, you might have a recruiter that says, is this, you know, they might say, what's the role? It's fully remote. They've not said, is it really, is it, is it going to change down the line? And, and the company has gone, actually, obviously oh, to be honest with you, we did actually tell the recruiter it was one day a week, but he's just not pushed for the answer. So it's all circumstantial. I think ultimately. Really, you should blame the business for not yeah, being transparent. It's a but recruiters sometimes need to know that businesses will do that in order yeah. to secure more talent and, and not be as transparent as possible. Totally, yeah.
1: It, it's that hard one where companies yeah. do want to get the top talent in. And so there's kind of almost a reason on their side to hide info, but also on the other for not pulling that information out. If only yeah. life were more simple, simplified, <laughs> that would be the dream. Here we are. Cool. So let's go on to that last topic then. Experience versus juniors. Now, you said you just kind of scaled the team up and you saw those that maybe weren't quite seasoned enough recruiters to be able to deal with it when things started going bad. Whereas by the sounds that now the team that you've held on to, you believe they're a little bit more kind of battle-hardy than that. They're able to deal with the ups and downs and they can work comfortably remotely. What's your view on managing more experienced consultants
0: versus more junior ones? It's, it's, it's completely different. It, it, yeah, you're... Yeah you're almost not managing a recruiter with juniors and you're managing someone that's stuck in their way with the senior. So it has to be approached really differently. And this goes back to what I said earlier about everyone is different. Um, juniors, I think from a remote perspective are harder, but they're also, and I don't really like the word moldable because it makes you seem like you're almost trying to control someone to be a certain thing, but certainly it's, it, they are moldable into what you think is a good recruiter. So the juniors, if they have the right mindset and they're really wanting to be successful, they are probably a lot easier in the long term. Seniors sometimes, if you find a, a senior consultant that, that's always done one way of working and the way you work isn't aligned, becomes a bit more tricky. And you have a, you have a clash because they know, they know their stuff. And you know, that you're good at your job. So then you start to clap. and this is where it comes down to being a team and having a one-to-one, a mentorship relationship. And you can, you know, if I hire someone with 20 years experience, I can definitely learn something from them equally. They can learn something from me. So I'm learning every day, running a business, you know, meeting new clients, getting new roles on that I haven't worked previously before. Uh, The market's always moving. It's always changing expectations. Um, I'd say each is very different. I think, you know, we've made more, everyone that's joined this team so far has been more junior. Um, And I know we're going to get onto it in a little bit. We have one more senior coming into the business, which is a complete curveball to what the usual recruiter is, but they will be hopefully joining us very, very soon. Um, The juniors that we've hired have been great and I think why they've been so good is they've been rejected time and time and time again by other recruitment agencies. Um, You haven't got the right experience, you're not good for this business, go away. And then I've got on a call with them and said, well, why do you want to do recruitment? Thought about what their goals are, does it align with my goals? Um, and that's the best thing I think you can ask in an interview is, are their motivations and goals aligning well with what you want to do with the business? And, you know, the three juniors that we have on, their their goals are very aligned to us. And our top performer is six months into into recruitment and smashing it. And he, he's amazing. And his mindset's great. And he you can tell he really has something to prove. And he's proving it. And he's proving to these other agents that you said no to me. And he works night and day. I'll get a message from him at one in the morning, just come off of the phone to this candidate. I've emailed you a write-up, do you want to submit them? I've never asked someone to work that late, ever. I won't ever ask someone you or tell someone you're working late tonight. Um, it becomes tricky because we do the UK and the US market, which obviously the hours are very different. Um, there is no expectation from me for them to work late outside of their usual call hours. Um, but they do it because they know that they have to in order to get the best that they can performance-wise. Um, the senior that we've got coming on is a complete curveball to what I'd usually hire. Um, you know They're not definitely 100% coming on, but we're, we're at those closing stages now where they're going to be started very soon, hopefully. Um, but... Yeah, mm. I, I think for me personally, the way that I want to take the business, juniors are definitely the way forward um, because the seniors maybe don't agree with being managed by someone so young. I think there's a lot of disrespect for someone as young as me and I would hold my hands up and say I've lied about my age multiple times before, but they've never questioned it because the the quality of... of uh, service they get is probably better than anyone the actual age that I said that I was. Um, and that's just because I I can almost guarantee that I work harder than anyone else in the industry. I can almost guarantee it. Might sound a bit, bit big-headed and it might sound a little bit braggy, but it's not. That. It's just because I'm in that point now where I have something to prove. And in order for, for the, my team to be successful, I have to be successful and I have to bring business in. So I will work. I work hard for myself, and I work hard for my team as well. And they feed off of everything that I do. Um, and it's the
1: so way it should be. A leader, a
0: leader should inspire it. Like I, I do, anyway. do my best. and obviously, you know, in the market that we're in, in such a tough year, where I see, you know, every day, sorry, I've had to shut down my recruitment agency. It's been such a journey, but I'm going to have to move to XYZ. And I thought, that cannot happen to me. That cannot happen to me because Mm. then they'll be right. You can't do this at your age. When actually I know that I'm probably doing better than most businesses that I've worked at previously at the moment. So, um, and and that's not not because they're bad. That's just because I work harder, I think. Mm.
1: Nice. And to to tie a piece you said earlier, so you said you really think the future of the business is juniors, but... You also said earlier on a little bit, you know, juniors can be hard to to shape, to mould, to kind of get into the place where they are, good, strong recruiters working remotely or otherwise. How do you approach onboarding a junior so you know that they're able to get to that standard where you can trust them remote or in person, no matter where they might be, that you can trust them to do the job where you can't necessarily
0: be with them every yeah, single day? that's a great question. Um, it, it's detailed and there's a lot to run through and... It takes probably weeks at a time to get them fully onboarded. Um, and that's just because there is nothing worse than when you're new being overloaded with information. So we have in-house made training modules that that I made while I was setting up the business that's going on in my career and everything in my mind put down onto a PowerPoint presentation. And I share that with them in the most simplest form. And as the weeks go on, the training. And the detail gets more and more in detail. And they're able to understand not just what to do, and and again, I'll refer back, but why to do it. Why are they having this BD approach? Why are they posting on LinkedIn? What do they get from posting on LinkedIn? What, What do they get out of it from their personal branding? What do they get out of making calls? What do they get out of sending emails? How should they send an email? When should they send an email? What structure has it got to be? Every every single point that makes up a 360 recruitment life cycle is taken from the basics to all the way through to, you know, how to manage a process, how to be the best recruiter you can be and how to maximize being genuine. Um, I think that's why we're successful because we're genuine. Um, I have a lot of, a lot of candidates reach out to me. I mean, you might have even seen recently on my LinkedIn. I had a candidate that said to me, you're the best recruiter I've ever worked with. He had 20 years experience and he every job he'd had was through a recruiter. All I did was check up on him regularly and call him regularly and make sure that he was okay, make sure the interviews went all right. I didn't do anything that I thought was out of the ordinary, but everyone is so focused on transactional deals. As opposed to managing people that you might not make money off of right now, that candidate might not get placed, and as it happens, that candidate, that, unfortunately, we, we we didn't place them. But he still thought I was the best recruiter that, that he'd ever worked with, and we get messages like that every day, which makes it which is amazing, and, and it's such a great feeling mm-hmm. more so than than getting the deal. I think when someone really appreciates how hard you work, um, but I I just train them to be genuine. I train them, don't feel like you've got to be salesy. Just the best sales technique that you can have is being yourself. Because if you get caught up in a lie, if you get caught up being ungenuine, you'll you'll be unstuck.
1: Yeah. Authenticity, I think, is massively underrated. You know, people love to follow a framework or a playbook. Whereas, like you say, sometimes yeah, sure, there are things that like you can be yeah. encouraged to ask that are definitely going to help with a sales process or a recruitment process, but being authentic, I think. Yeah, you know, people always say it's not business yeah, buying for a business exactly. person buying for a person. At the end of the day, that authentic relationship is just yeah, so so exactly. valuable and if you I get mean, it right. I'll,
0: you know, I, I try to teach them just just listen to everyone, just listen to everyone. Take the time to have a call with the person that you might not be able to place now. Don't be transactional. There's 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 forty thousand agencies in the UK alone. Don't be like the other 39,000. Don't be transactional. Make something of every call. And and again, that refers back to what I said earlier. Just make every call worth it, whether it's now or two years down the line, every call will pay off. You can work with someone, never place them, and then they're they're fed up at their job, they come back, and actually then you've got a job for them there. There's so so much potential with every call, but it might not be immediate. It might be down the line. That's the best training, I think, that, and I'm probably giving away too many tips here for other agencies. Um, but that is the best approach that anyone can have uh, any junior recruiter or even senior recruiter. If they're thinking, "What do I need to do to maximize my billings?" It would be stop thinking about billings, stop thinking about deals, stop thinking about numbers. Just think about people, and and watch your watch how much you grow, and watch how happy you become, how happy you become in your job. And, and that is how you maximise the most out of the desk that you're on.
1: 100%. Spot on. Love all of that. Really good stuff. Cool. We're about 45 minutes in, so I want to move on to the favourite stories part of the uh, podcast, which is really where we look back at your career so far. And I want you to tell us your favourite story so far, when something went really right for you that you're really proud of maybe. And then a horror story. I'm gonna give all the details around it. Maybe yeah. and keep some bits uh, redacted if you choose. But what's a real horror story that you look back on and just think, "Oh my god, I can't oh, believe it's that the happened." There's so probably ten
0: times more horror stories than there are success stories, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's some crackers, oh, man, I'll tell I you, you that. Dive much. Into <laughs> so many that would get me in so much trouble. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I should, <laughs> I'll, I'll start with a success story. Um, Cause there are a lot to choose from, you know, I I, I have wow. had a great career and I've, I've worked with so many great people and I've learned from so many great people. Um, it's just picking one. I, I would say actually in terms of the, this business, actually the, the biggest success story we've had is very, very recent. Um, back in January, we, we signed a retainer, our first retainer, my first ever retainer, um, for a good sum of money and it was with one of the the best firms i think that anyone in the industry that i that i work in would would hope to work for it was an exclusive contract from one email one call and retainers for fire roles um and and that was after a horrible six months a horrible six months of working. Every second night, I wasn't sleeping. Um, getting nothing for it, making multiple placements and not getting paid. Still not being paid that money. Being owed a lot, yeah, being owed a lot of money. Typical new recruitment agency, not being paid. And them out of nowhere, coming to the new year, open up my inbox after an, after a good New Year's party. Open it up in the morning. Um, Tom, we'd like to jump on the team call finished the team's call, great conversation. By the end of the day, we had a retainer sign for five roles. That is just, uh, that was the best feeling Wait. I think I've ever had, honestly. I've, I've done a lot. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of success and I've had a lot of good stories, but I think it meant so much more because it was my brand and it was my hard work and it was all me and it was under my name, and it was under the Thomas Berkeley name, and, and that was amazing. That would be probably my favorite success story, and that was only about six weeks ago. Nice. Next, Love that. Yeah, horror story. story. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, recruitment is funny. Recruitment is funny. There's probably a lot that I could talk about. Um, I don't know how friendly it is for a podcast. Yeah, you know, it goes. I mean,
1: to be honest mate, people listen to this as recruiters as well, so they'll be sitting there nodding with you like, I get that. I yeah. feel that so much. Um, you can tell
0: us whatever the hell you want. Oh, really tricky. I, I would say one of, one of the ones that sticks with me the most is, um, I was working for a firm that I'd really struggled to get a deal with. Um, and everything was going wrong. I'd, I'd had about 240,000 worth of offers. None of it went through R- relatively new still to recruitment. Um, and I was sat at my desk. I was trying to close this and it was it was the biggest fee. It was a 70,000 fee, huge fee. Um, and I've sat there and and I just can't close the deal. And it's nothing to, I've got all of my notes. I've I'm got a great relationship with the candidate, but the salary just wasn't right for him. And he'd had a better offer. And in his shoes, I would have done the exact same thing. I would have taken the other offer and run with it. Um, my boss was over the other side of my desk and he he takes the phone off me he said tom transfer me the fucking phone sorry for my language that's what he said tom transfer me the phone so and to, yeah he transfer he over the phone, um speaks to my candidate and i can see and he's working his way and i'm thinking i'm sat there and i'm listening and i'm, I'm, I'm learning i'm taking in what he's saying i'm like okay cool so that's the closing skills that he's doing He's got a certain approach that maybe I didn't think of, and he's a, he's a lot more direct. Maybe this guy, he he's demanding a bit of respect, so he's a lot more direct. And then out of nowhere, I've gone to the fridge, get myself a drink, which it was just an open plan office at the time that we had. Gone to the fridge, come back, all all of a sudden, do you know what? This is my boss of the candidate. Do you know what? If you're not going to accept the offer, fuck off, don't call me again, you dickhead, put the phone down, and I'm I'm. I'm just thinking, oh my, that was, that was the one, that was the one. And I was, he was getting there and I was actually getting somewhere with him. And he was close. He said, look, just give him a couple of days. I'll weigh up the offers. And I had a great relationship with him um, and that happened. And then about two hours later, email from the client. Did you tell X to fuck off? Um, never call again and that oh, uh, we would never consider him as a candidate if we didn't accept this, accept the offer and this has come to my email then we get an email from oh, God. the candidate with solicitors cc'd in suing the business oh, my God. for damages uh, and uh, because we'd run back to the client and, and said a few things, and for uh, something like compensation for re- rejecting the offer and things like this, I can't exactly remember what it was, but um, forwarded it to my boss. Client oh goes, "Yeah, we're not going to work with you again." And this was our this client was making us as a business about probably one point. Oh yeah. my yeah. god! Yeah, that's I, I'd say that's one that comes to mind as one of my biggest horror stories because they were my biggest client. Um and we'd almost got the deal and I called him after about probably two months down the line and he hadn't got a job. He was bluffing about this other offer and he would have taken the, the job. Yeah. No way. Uh, and that's when it becomes no way. you know, just a you know, a bit of a nightmare to oh my god, I've just missed out on X amount of commission because my boss couldn't hold it in a little bit. Yeah, but it's a great one, story. One of we'll many never forget, in sure. There's, there's, there's <laughs> lots and lots and lots that you can but um, these are all things. You know, it's a learning. You know, not that I needed to learn anyway. Not to tell a candidate to, you know, everything that he did. Um, but really yeah. yeah. on my um, list of things to do in recruitment, that sticks with me because I was yeah you know, I was really young there as well. I'd only really just got into recruitment. Yeah, that was a moment, and I was sat there and I I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. Mm. Yeah. She can't, can't really be it, trained to sit that. It's not in the like handbook, <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, I can imagine yeah. it's not. <laughs> Amazing, cool. I mean, that's a great story. So, thank you for that. Um, last couple of questions, then before we round up. Who, if obviously you have any, where do you go to learn or develop as a as a leader, as a manager? Where do you turn to? Could be books, podcasts, cool. LinkedIn influencers, um, anything like that.
0: I think it it depends on what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for um, Motivation and when things are tough, to know that things are going to go right. There's a great, um, well, for one, Stephen Bartlett. Everyone's going to say it. Diary of a CEO, great podcast. Um, yeah, and I think great the, the there, yeah. guests that he gets in and realizing that these people that you just see on TV, they they've been where you are, and and knowing that success isn't overnight. And that it takes a lot of hard work and everyone's been in the same boat. That's one, um, for motivation. And I think the second one, and just because he's a very similar age to me, he's only two years older. Um, Iman Garci, founder of, uh, IAG media, one of the most successful and his podcast most times is just him. And it's just him giving out gems of information and you know, he's, it's all he's ever done he come out of university. First thing he did start up this media company. It's all he's ever done. Um, and running you through how to do it, you know, what, what he did wrong, what you can do, right. Um, and how he took his business from, you know, pretty much being on the streets to living in a ridiculous, I don't even want to know how much the property is worth this house in Dubai on the, on the Palm Island. Um, and it, it's great to have someone so close in age to to look at and just get tips from who's in the same generation as you cuz a lot of these podcasts there they're you know, maybe one or two generations above so to have him he's only he's, a, he's only 24 so he's, sure, he's, yeah. he's part of my generation he's uh Love yeah he's, he's he's one that more recently i've been going to yeah but LinkedIn, nice. linkedin's great linkedin's great other people that are in recruitment they're great um just you know knowing that you're not alone but in terms of podcasts, they'd be the best,
1: I'd say. Yeah, spot
0: on. Love it.
1: Cool. And then before we wrap things up, anything, any kind of shout outs you want to give? Where can people find you if they want to follow yeah, the journey along um, and see where things I'd go for Thomas Berkeley over the next year LinkedIn. or two?
0: Thomas Berkeley Recruitment. Give us a follow on LinkedIn. Give me a connection. Um, and look, I'm, my DMs are always open for people, whether you're in recruitment, whether you're looking for a job um, or whether you just want to chat. I think a lot of people now need need someone to talk to. So, um, yeah, just drop me, drop me a connection on LinkedIn. Okay, fair, Tom Cox, Thomas Berkeley Recruitment. Um, DMs are always open for anyone. And yeah, I'm, as you can tell, I like to talk. So, uh, yeah, I'm always open for a chat.
1: <laughs> well, it's definitely one of our longer episodes, mate, yeah. that's for sure. But it's been a really interesting story. So thank you so much for giving us time, mate. Hope you thank have a you wonderful weekend. A and song. Catch you soon.